change your mind about you where we are on a journey together to awaken to our true identity. I'm your host, Kevin Mack, and today we're going to begin looking at the story of the fall in Genesis 3 with the intent to reveal some aspects of the story that have often been overlooked. By doing this, it's hoped that each of us can come to a more complete understanding of how the world we see came about. In our previous episode, we concluded by saying that the enormous difference between the world God created and the world we see is due to differences in perception. In fact, where we left off in the creation story at the end of Genesis chapter 2, there appears to be no differences in perception existing at all. Creation appeared to be as God created it. Very good, as he stated in Genesis 1.31. Yet we know that the way human beings have perceived the world throughout known history appears far different than the story presented in Genesis 1 and 2. How did this change come about? What is the origin of these differing perceptions? Let's begin to answer these questions starting in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. It says there, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The Hebrew word translated serpent here in verse 1 is derived from the Hebrew verb nakash, N-A-H-S. That verb is a primary root word that generally means to prognosticate, as in the interpretations of signs and omens. These interpretations take the form of whispering. In other words, in the, with, the, uh, with the idea that there's a revealing of secret knowledge. Thus, the work of the spirit of prognostication is to take one's mind off the present moment where life is lived. Notice that this spirit of prognostication says to the woman, Did God say? Here is a clear reference to the past. He's attempting to get the woman to think about reinterpreting what God said. The means by which he goes about this are quite subtle. In fact, the Hebrew word translated crafty in verse 1 is derived from the Hebrew verb aram, A-R-A-M. This is the very same Hebrew root verb from which the word translated naked in Genesis 2.25 is derived. This verb aram properly means to make bare which certainly can apply to nakedness as it does in Genesis 2.25, where it's used in a positive way to demonstrate the joining of two to become one. But that verb can also be used in a negative sense. The use of the term aram can also relate to the idea of smoothness. So while it can describe 
the smoothness of naked skin and intimate joining in a positive way, there is also a negative connotation associated with the smoothness of a slick salesman. Thus, in Genesis 3, 1 above, Aram is translated crafty. It's interesting to note here, isn't it, that this case is a superb example of how spoken language may be used to distort meaning, making the symbols of language open to interpretation. We also see here in verse 1, the word translated animal is derived from the Hebrew verb kaya, H-A-Y-A, which either figuratively or literally means to live. So let's summarize what we've determined thus far. We have a crafty prognosticator who appears to live, confronting the woman and prompting her to look back and question what she heard from God. But wait a minute. Where did this deceptive spirit of prognostication come from? Looking at it from the standpoint of God's very good creation, which is perfect, holy, and sinless, the situation here truly seems puzzling. The serpent appears to be an element within God's perfect creation that opposes God and those created in his image. If that's the case, how can God's creation be called very good? The scriptures appear to contradict. What's going on here? Allow me to explain. God's creation remains as he created it. It is holy, perfect, and very good. If God is almighty, always present, never leaves or forsakes his creation, is loving, is very good, created everything that exists, and does not change, how can evil possibly exist in his creation? It's impossible. There can be no rebellious elements in the creation that oppose the will of God. So if that's the case, where did this serpent, this spirit of prognostication, come from? In order to make sense of this situation, let's go back to Genesis 2. And let's read there in verses 8 and 9 of Genesis 2 where it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Verse 9, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's a lot of symbolism here, so let's break it down bit by bit. The term Eden actually means pleasure. So Adam's home is a place of pleasure. It's a place of beautiful surroundings for the man to enjoy. It says in verse 9 that the trees God planted there 
were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now, what do these trees symbolize? In our world, trees are the longest living organisms on the planet and never die of old age. In other words, trees picture eternal life. Trees also improve air quality and have been called the lungs of the earth. Lungs, of course, are what the body uses to breathe air. And air is referred to in the scriptures, as we have learned, as spirit. So trees, in verse 9, symbolize both spirit and eternal life. And their purpose was to provide both pleasure and sustenance for the man. Now the last part of verse 9 says, In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Hebrew word translated middle is tavek, T-A-V-A-K, which means to sever or bisect. So both of these trees are said to be in the middle of the garden. But that cannot be literally true because there can only be one true center. Now we have already said trees symbolize spirit and long life. The tree of life, when placed at the center of the garden, symbolizes spirit and long life and fits together nicely with the other trees in the garden. So there's peace and unity and harmony. That's the world as God created it. But what if the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is placed at the center of the garden? What do the scriptures tell us? Genesis 2 in verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God here in these verses begins by telling the man, You are free to eat from any tree. This means the man is created as a free moral agent. He makes his own choices and lives with the consequences of those choices. Because God loves the man, remember God is love as it says in 1 John 4 verse 8, he advises the man to choose wisely for his own well-being. Eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil creates a problem. To eat something means to take it into oneself for sustenance. If you take in both good and evil, you have taken in opposites. When opposing forces are at work within us, we experience inner conflict, and such conflict inevitably leads to death. Another way of looking at this part of the story is to liken our minds to the garden. The trees in the garden are thoughts, food for thought, right? These thoughts 
are spirit and life. However, if you insert conflict into the midst of your thoughts, as in eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, your garden, your mind, will become a mixture of life and death. And since life and death are opposites, the end result in that case is also conflict. So the picture created here is of the world that we see. So God instructs Adam, through the symbology of the two trees in the midst of the garden, that he has the freedom to choose how we will use his mind. God encourages him to choose a life of love, peace, and harmony, symbolized by putting the tree of life at the center of the garden, at the center of his mind. In this way, he chooses to create in the image and likeness of God. However, if he were to choose from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam would choose to miscreate and reap the adverse consequences of doing so. A mixture of life and death, a mixture of joy and suffering, a mixture of health and sickness, a mixture of gain and loss, a mixture of laughing and crying, and so forth. So now that we have this background, what is the serpent and where did he come from? The serpent, very simply, is a symbol that represents the ideas, the spirit, if you will, associated with miscreation. It is a misuse of the mind. When we misuse our minds in this way, as the woman is here, we deceive ourselves into leaving the present where life is lived to review the past. But the woman initially doesn't take the bait and do that. She replies to the serpent in Genesis 3 and verse 2, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden. She brings the discussion back into the present, in other words, at least initially. But then she flip-flops. Notice what, what's said in verse 3. But God did say, Here's a reference to the past. You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. When our minds miscreate, we always look anywhere but at the present. Thus, it is through miscreation, the misuse of the mind, that the concept of time is born. Here, Eve is looking back. She's reviewing the past and recalling what God said. She is bringing the past into the present. She is quite literally making time. 
So she has succeeded in moving herself into time from eternity, away from the realm of peace and harmony, and toward the realm of mixture, the realm of interpretation, the realm of perception. Her thinking has become distorted, and because of such distorted thinking, she has begun to believe that God is withholding information from her. Doing so violates the bond of trust between her and God. So now the die is cast. Her thinking has become distorted enough that it is time to introduce a lie and further distort it into a believable perception. Verses 4 and 5 of Genesis 3. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here she has now lied to herself. So she questions God's integrity here and usurps his authority from him, appointing herself as the judge of what is good and what is evil. Notice, along with this self-deception, comes a meaningless promise. You will be like God. Here again is a focusing on the future. Yet, she didn't stop and think and say to herself, But I am already in the image and likeness of God. I already am like God. That thought never crossed her mind. She is now totally out of touch with her right mind. She is totally out of touch with God-created reality. Now a question arises as this discourse has proceeded to this point. Where is God in this discussion? If he never leaves or forsakes, why is he missing or appear to be missing at this critical juncture? Again here we must understand that this entire discussion between the serpent and Eve is going on in the mind of Eve. Eve is in the midst of a spiritual crisis. God is there. But Eve is treating him as if he is not. She could call on him at any instant for help and he would answer. But why would she do that if she suspects God of hiding something from her? Instead, she says to herself, Wait, I'm a free moral agent. I'll decide for myself. So she goes it alone and is about to make the wrong decision. Verse 6 of Genesis 3. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And he eats it because she's his protector. Where she goes, he goes. 
So Eve first eats from the forbidden tree and gives some to her husband. She does so because at this point she's convinced that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a better alternative than the tree of life. She came to believe that she and her husband were better off centering their lives around conflict than to center them around peace. They were, quote-unquote now, free to live unhindered by God's presence in a world dominated by opposing forces, good and evil, life and death. They could gain new wisdom otherwise inaccessible to them and make their own laws to live and, by the way, die by. It is this world that Adam and Eve made for themselves that is the world we see today. Thus, at the center of our minds is the concept of miscreation. We will review more of the characteristics of our world that arose out of Adam and Eve's decision in the next episode of Change Your Mind About You. Thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Kevin Mack, reminding you that the world we see is not the world that God created. While God's very good creation is the only creation that exists, the spirit of miscreation humanity has adopted to regulate our thinking has given us a distorted picture, a distorted perception of reality. Rather than living in an unchanging, eternally present creation, we live in a realm of time and change where we leave the present in order to focus on the past and the future. Since God dwells only in the present moment, we live in this world of time with the perception that the ever-present God is somehow missing. And because the world of time is one with beginnings and endings, the eternal life ordained by God appears to end in death. Worse yet, along the way, because we have embraced conflict by choosing to become the arbiters of good and evil, we struggle unrelentingly with the differing interpretations of what good and evil actually means. Again, in our next episode, we will examine more of the effects of Adam and Eve's choice to eat the forbidden fruit. So, until next time, take good care and be well, my friends. <laughs>